Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Tracy Ray from the employment law firm of Baron Lehman. Tracy says that OPB sponsorship is a great way to support the community and connect with Baron Liebman's clients. This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. We end today with a conversation about making playgrounds inclusive for kids of all abilities. The Portland-based nonprofit Harper's Playground is leading this effort in this region and around the country. One of their latest sites is the Chelsea Anderson Memorial PlayStation, which opened in September at Marshall Park in Vancouver. It's not your typical playground. The wood chips have been replaced with smooth surfaces. That's to allow people in wheelchairs easy access to the play features, including a merry-go-round and an accessible swing. Plus, instead of just a big tangle of steel and plastic, there's a lot of natural elements, from a sensory garden to water features to a sandy play area. G. Cody Q.J. Goldberg is the co-founder and chief play officer of Harper's Playground. We talked in August. I started by asking him how playgrounds became his life's work. Well, it all does go back to the birth of my daughter, Harper, who experiences a pretty significant disability. And having been told by the doctors uh, shortly after her birth that we should expect she would never walk nor talk in her lifetime, that's really what took us as a family on a different trajectory. And when we walked to our neighborhood park with her four years later, her maiden voyage using a walker, using wheels to get around, what was otherwise a glorious day for us ended with her getting stuck in the wood chips that surround typical playgrounds. And that's really the genesis of this whole movement. What did you do after that? Well, it was really my wife who did something. Um, she first, uh, declared that that was not okay. Um, and then she gave me a to-do list, which included calling Portland Parks and Recreation and telling them that we wanted them to build a playground that worked for our daughter, Harper. And when they told us that they had no budget for some, such a project, uh, we said, well, how hard could it be to have a fundraiser? And we, we went on to raise $1.2 million in three years. Hmm. Can you describe the elements that, that are a part of Harper's Playground now? That, that is both the name of your organization and, and the first playground that, that you built. Yeah. What makes that different from other parks in Portland and, and many other playgrounds around the world? Yeah. And first and foremost, it is about getting rid of those wood chips. Those wood chips, uh, while legally de de declared as ADA compliant, they really in practice are not. Um, so it's eliminating the wood chips. The wood chips really are required to surround the big structures. So we also eliminate the structure as well. Um, and it turns out unstructured play is the type of play that kids need. They get that in in, in uh, much higher volume when you take away a structure and you make a landscape. And you know, think about the word playground. It was never intended to be a structure. It's a ground. Um, so it's it's for us, it's removing the, the wood chips, removing the structure, and building a landscape, a really beautiful and elegant landscape that attracts a lot of people. And the ultimate beauty of Harper's Playground, what really makes it different is it attracts more people, a wider variety of people, and the people play together. And that's the, that's, the, that's the special sauce of Harper's Playground. It's not what we put in it. It's actually what we don't put in it, uh, and we allow for people to connect. Yeah, it's interesting that you're describing it this way, because I was preparing for this conversation yesterday afternoon um, while my kids were playing at Kunamox Park, which is a, a pretty newish park in, in northeast Portland. Uh, I would I would sometimes you know read about your organization, sometimes watch kids play. Yep. And the the biggest joy that I saw among kids yesterday was two things. One, when someone when there were no s skaters in the skate park in the ramps, 
and little kids would carry them around there, mm-hmm. um, just running and and zooming and enjoying the curves. Yep. And when a bunch of kids were climbing up the pretty tall poles that held up some of the swings, going way higher than <laughs> seemed safe, but uh, it was also, they were clearly enjoying it. But neither of these things were, they weren't being used the way I, I assume the designers of the park intended. It was kids just figuring out ways to, to do fun things for themselves. How do you design a place where, where that's possible? Yeah. Well, the central feature for us is a hill. Um, we, we love putting AstroTurf covered hills. We would cover them in natural ga- grass if the grass would, would hold up, but um, the hill is an unstructured space and it does not tell you what to do with it. So kids somersault down them, they roll down them, they wrestle on them, parkour happens. The, the whole idea of being unstructured and, and mimicking nature as best as possible is you, do, you are not dictating what the child is supposed to do. That is really the problem with the structure. The structure absolutely says, here's how you do it. Here's what you do. Here's how you interact. And, and kids' brains are hardwired to make up their own pathways, to want to do their own thing. It's why kids play with the box more than the toy. Hmm. It's the same idea. What kept you going? I mean, you, after navigating city bureaucracy and doing all kinds of different versions of fundraising, small scale and large scale, you, you built Harper's Playground. Yeah. That could have been the end. Why wasn't it? Well, um, it really does go back to closer to when Harper was born. And my personal experience of, um, frankly, being worried about her future um, and assessing my role in in helping her navigate this world. Um, And I really made a commitment to whatever you want to call it, the universe or God or however, um, that if I could be if I could find a way to change the world for Harper, that I would commit the rest of my life to that. And after my wife suggested the playground and we got rolling on the playground, I I recognized as it started to take shape here in Portland and it became a big movement um, that that was the thing. So I have dedicated the rest of my life to this movement because I see it changing the world for ultimately both of my girls. Hmm. I want to see this world become a more inclusive place to be. I think the the world can be a hard place to navigate for people who experience disabilities. That was why I was fearful at first, my first reaction. Now I'm I'm just so excited that my daughter has inspired a movement that is going global. And that was always the intention. Is there a difference for you between an accessible playground and an inclusive one? Absolutely. That's a great question. Accessible is the first layer of what we call um, inclusive design. Uh, We have three layers of of inviting design that we talk about. And the first layer is is, uh, physically inviting. So accessible is really all about, can somebody, especially if they use wheels, navigate the space, the entire space. Without getting stuck in what you said is legally allowed under the ADA, but physically doesn't work wood chips. Or encounter a staircase that is uh, otherwise unnecessary. Yeah. Or a huge curb or something. Correct. So it's smooth everywhere. Okay. So that's, but that seems like that's, um, Maybe even that is rare, but that's that's just the first bar for you. That's the so, first bar. So what's next? The features that we select are selected to be adaptive to, to some degree so that once somebody gets to it, can they use it? So accessible is so often used in interchangeably with inclusive um, just because you know, p- people just don't know yet. But yeah. Well, so what's an example of an adaptive or inclusive 
piece of play structure? Because it seems, I mean, there are some play structures even in, I mean, even though you, you want it to be, a hill seems like the, the, the perfect version of play for you. Yeah. But so, I, for example, I read that there is some kind of wheelchair enabled swing at the yes. new park that's opening. So, so what is that? How does that work? That's been one of the more difficult features for the, the, land, the playground industry to, to design both for functionality and safety. It's a big, heavy apparatus, um, but allowing somebody who needs to stay in their wheelchair a, a chance to actually swing, is uh, it's been a dream of ours for years. This new feature, is, it's very new. It's going to be one of the first ones installed in the state of Washington. Um, we're really excited about that. The other feature that I think illustrates the adaptive component, we have an elevated sand table, so children can play with wet sand. Wet sand is like the holy grail of play materials. Um, we have a cutout in that table so wheelchairs can wheel in and play with the wet sand. Those are two examples. Um, there's a lot of other examples. Anything we put in is usable by everybody. Hmm. Are inclusive playgrounds more expensive to build than the, the standard ones that are everywhere? Not necessarily. I think, especially if you're talking about new construction, it's very comparable. When you're replacing a structure with an inclusive playground, it's going to be more expensive than just putting another structure in there because the whole landscape has been designed just to replace it with a structure. Um, but I like to frame that, that conversation more about value than expense. So if the expense is even double, but it serves hundreds more people, it's, it's actually, it's far more valuable, ultimately. Hmm. How do you think about fostering inclusion for neurodivergent kids, for, for kids who are on the spectrum or who, who might be dealing with various sensory issues? Yeah, I think ultimately that's why um, the landscape invites everyone and they connect with one another. Nature really helps that, um, I think, for children on the spectrum who are overwhelmed by larger crowds, having good natural environments all throughout the space uh, where they can retreat, perhaps, and and find a little bit of respite from that high energy. Um, just the fact that so many people of different backgrounds and abilities are together, it means they're talking about these things. And then there's more awareness amongst their peers on how each other plays. And one of the, the things I have to get in here because it's so important, we work with communities all the time to design these playgrounds. There's always adults in the room who are telling us what we've already done is impossible. Um, that's one of my favorite experiences. But the kids in the room are always saying, we should spare no expense. We should never compromise. We want it to work for all everybody. Kids are awesome. I love working with kids. If you're just tuning in, I'm talking right now with Cody Goldberg, co-founder and chief play officer at Harper's Playground. It is a Portland-based nonprofit that has now worked around the country and also internationally to make much more inclusive playgrounds for kids. But actually, I mean, it seems like you don't even say that. You're not just thinking about kids, right? Everybody. Everybody. Well, so how do you think about non-kids yeah. when you're designing a playground. What's an example of, 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 of the design thinking that goes into, um, is it engaging adults? Yeah, well, I think uh, <laughs> I'm now 54 and I have a new knee, a recently installed knee, a lot of seating. We put a lot of seating into our parks, a lot of shade. I think with global warming and um, just the sunny nature of a lot of parks, if they're, if they're too hot, then people aren't going to stay as long. I felt that yesterday at Kunamox. There's one big tree in this gorgeous new park, uh, one big tree in the center of the entire play area. So so yeah. that means for you planting trees? 
planting or choosing locations that have them for sure. Yeah, we look forward to encouraging communities to start planting now in areas where they think it will make a good playground because it takes 50 to 100 years, right, to get a good tree. Um, I think seeding, uh, shade, and then of course, um, just the natural beauty of the space attracts you know more people of all ages. We put a lot of artwork into our parks, so they're kind of almost they feel like a plaza. Like I, I think of them as more of like a European plaza that happens to have play features within it. Hmm. When you travel around the, the state or the country or or wherever, and you go, I imagine you go to playgrounds just as part of of your life now. Mm-hmm. What are you paying attention to? Well, like you shared about yesterday, I, I watch how people are using the space, uh, especially. Don't focus on how the space has been designed, but how it's how it's actually working. I think observing people in interactive um, uh, conditions um, is is really what has driven our whole design theory. Um, how does it actually work? But I mean, sometimes there's a feature that just looks so cool um, that uh, we at least put it in the queue, even if we don't see it being used. Uh, What's an example of that? Something you saw somewhere that you were jealous of and wanted to recreate? Oh, I love this question. There's uh, up in Everett, Washington, there's a huge boulder. When we use a lot of boulders in our in our parks, there's a huge boulder that's been sliced into pieces. So it's got its rough edges and also its smooth edges. And it's um, been in, in, installed in the playground on end. And I saw kids using their their hands pushed up against the smooth parts to, to shimmy up to the top of the rocks. They also were stationing themselves um, on, a, on a bench near the rocks, jumping onto the side of the rock to see if they could hold on to this sh- like sheer piece. Uh, it's a beautiful execution of a simple form that is played with in many ways, and it's beautiful. You know, it's, it's an interesting example, and you've, you've mentioned boulders before, because correct me if I'm wrong, but, but that's, that doesn't sound like something that somebody in a wheelchair could, could take advantage of in a, in a major way. It, but you're okay with that. I mean, I, it seems like you're not arguing that every single thing in a playground that, that you design has to be completely usable by every every person of every ability. Absolutely, and that would be a fool's errand. And that is definitely one of the things I have to explain to communities who are trying to make that work, is that the ultimate goal is connection. Hmm. So the person- What is connection? Well, connection, Connection is a really important word to me. Connection actually begins with how our brains function. Like that's you make connections, pathways in your brain. Um, when you connect ideas, that's how we're advancing forward. But connecting with others, so connecting with peers. So that that person who's using a wheelchair who may not be able to take full advantage of a feature, but they can be right there with them. I, most of what I observe in playgrounds is people playing together, whether it's verbal play or chasing each other. So whether if they can't actually necessarily get that much out of that feature, that's okay, um, ultimately. But as long as they can be there. Hmm. Looking back on your work now, I think started around 2009 or so, um, how do you feel about what you've accomplished, the actual playgrounds that are sprinkled around the Northwest and, and other states in Tokyo as well? In the context of so many other playgrounds um, that that are just not neither inclusive nor accessible, how do you think about that balance? Yeah, it's uh, it's a really really good question, Dave. I think I spend at least eighty five percent of my time frustrated that mm. we have not taken this f- you know further that it's not as um, ubiquitous 
as I, I think it should be. And I, I, I reserve at least a little space to feel pretty pri- proud of, of where, where it's come. I think when we started it, the word inclusive, when we started this, 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 our movement, I really feel like the word inclusive was not being used that much. And I feel like it has really come a long way. And Harper's Playground has just played a small part of that for sure. But we're, I'm, excited, I'm happy that we've been able to do that. What do you think would need to happen for the kinds of design choices that you're advocating for, for them to become more common? I mean, I, and, and what I mean is not to have your organization be the, be the consultant or the designer all over the world, but just to have it be more common when, when someone's designing a playground, it, it's a given that they will think in this way. Yeah, it's, uh, our ultimate strategy and goal is policy change. And our, our, our big North Star goal is to put ourselves out of business. There will be no reason for a nonprofit called Harper's Playground when this is the model. And so uh, I guess you could call them lofty goals. Hmm. What's next for your organization in terms of, of playgrounds in the works that you're excited about? I am so excited to share that we will be the design team behind John Lewis Memorial Playground in Selma, Alabama. Um, This is a a really rare opportunity to take the social justice work that is inherent in our work to the next level. Foot Soldiers Park will honor the heroes who marched across the Edmund Pettus Bridge and helped ensure voting rights back in 1965. Um, So we are thrilled to be working on that project. Closer to home, we have two in Bothell, Washington. And our whole model is to keep taking on consulting projects where we can help others replicate what we do. I mentioned that you are the co-founder and chief play officer for this nonprofit. You're wearing a hat that says play in in, um, neon green letters. Yes. When's the last time that you played? I try to play every day. I played this morning with both of my girls. Today is the first day of school. Um, Harper is a junior, and her younger sister, Lennon, is a freshman in high school. And we played and wrestled this morning, um, just getting excited for the big first day of school. Do you play without your kids? Well, you know, I, I think I try to make sure I maintain a playful mindset at all the times. Like, I don't take really anything too seriously. I try to be playful in how I, I navigate the world. The only thing I really take seriously is play. I think it's a real serious subject. <laughs> Cody Goldberg, thanks very much. Oh, so nice to be here. Thanks for having me. That was G. Cody QJ Goldberg, the co-founder and chief play officer of Harper's Playground. We talked in August. Tomorrow on the show, Portland has a new Emergency Humanitarian Operations Director. Brandy Westerman will oversee the city's safe rest villages and temporary alternative shelter sites. Westerman is no stranger to humanitarian crises. She previously worked for Mercy Corps in Tajikistan, Afghanistan, and Pakistan. If you don't want to miss any of our shows, you can listen on NPR's app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. Our nightly rebroadcast is at 8 p.m. Thanks very much for tuning in to Think Out Loud on OPB and KLCC. I'm Dave Miller. We'll be back tomorrow. Think Out Loud is supported by Steve and Jan Oliva, the Rose E. Tucker Charitable Trust, Ray and Marilyn Johnson, and the Susan Hammer Fund of the Oregon Community Foundation.
Members make Think Out Loud and all of OPB's independent journalism possible. Support the next fascinating story and join in as a sustainer at opb.org pod.